Welcome to another episode of Comedy Wham Presents and welcome to the 2021 Summer Vacation Series. We're getting to know comics from around the world and those who performed on our Isolation Comedy Online show in 2020. I'm your host, Valerie, and my sometime co-host, Ms. Perkin, she'll show up if she wants to. Comedywham.com is your place to go for features about mostly Austin comedy. And you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at Comedy Wham, or you can follow us on our Comedy Wham Facebook page. In addition to podcasts, Comedy Wham brings you articles, album reviews, live shows, and an events page for live shows in Austin and Houston. If you're a comic in those cities and want your show featured on the calendar, go to the events page and click submit a show to complete the short survey. Now let's get back to our podcast. Launched in 2016, the podcast project brings you funny people and their stories. As a fan, I like to delve into a comic's background and motivations, and will usually take a detour along the way. Consider the interview a way for you to get to know the folks that make the global comedy scene one of the best in the world. That does not translate very well from Austin to Globe. Oh, well. Well, if you like this podcast, please rate and review us. Now, today we are talking to the founder and producer of I Laugh KL. Uh, they have performed at live and virtual comedy festivals around the world from their own home in Kuala Lumpur to Plano, Texas, to England, to Washington, DC. They may be our very first spoken word poet guest on the podcast. And they have uh, written, written, directed, and produced Walking on Spectrum, a one-hour medley show, and that uh, that show premiered at Adelaide Fringe 2020 in Australia, Virtual Fringe 2020 in, in Auckland, New Zealand, and Rochester Fringe Festival in 2020 out of New York. Uh, they are one of our favorite comics from our 2020 isolation comedy show. In fact, what I really liked about them is their ability to relate their own experiences living in Kuala Lumpur to audiences in the United States. It's a particular, particular knack that I observed about their comedy. And now Comedy Wham presents our guest, Juliana Hang. Hi, Valerie. Hello, welcome. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Juliana, you are in Kuala Lumpur. That is your home. Yes. And we're, uh, we had to work through the time different in order to find a good time yeah <laughs> uh, but it is really really cool that this this whole concept of doing comedy online has you know given me the opportunity to meet you but also given me the opportunity to have you on my podcast to get to know you a little bit more um, and I actually have an icebreaker question so let's start with that and then we'll, huh. we'll, we'll get into your background as a comic, a poet, and now, a, 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 I guess, a film producer, technically, right? <laughs> All right. My icebreaker question is one word to describe your past. Boring. <laughs> I, I find that hard to, to believe, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's like Homer Simpson, you know, that boring, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> you, were, you were so good. I, I was watching an, another clip of yours today, and 
I, what I was watching was your your set from the Plano Virtual Festival, oh, yes. and also in uh, Texas. Yeah, exactly. And I I loved just I was reminded because you did this on our show when you, when you did a set with us, you you brought in something that related your experience in Kuala Lumpur to you know like specific things. Like you made a comment about oh uh, something that happens in my in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, it's like something that would happen in Detroit. And I'm like, that is, <laughs> that is very well researched. Or maybe you just took a pen and you said, I'll just name any, any city <laughs> in the US. <laughs> I, obviously, I have no idea what the comedy scene is in Malaysia. So why don't you paint us a picture of what the comedy scene or what uh, you know, what is stand-up like in, in Kuala Lumpur, in Malaysia? Sure. I would say that uh, Kuala Lumpur is actually, or Malaysia as a whole, is a growing scene where people, we are still in the midst of educating people what stand-up comedy is. Because people, like, for example, in Malaysia, we have, uh, in the before times, we have entertainment like uh, cinema, comedy, and then uh, theatre, and a few others, maybe like karaoke or anything else. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, stand-up is never the thing where people will want to like go. But cinema is pretty automatic. So, I mean, this is, we are trying to work towards a direction where cinema, where uh, comedy will become something like, hey, let's go to the cinema, you know. it's mm -hmm. We want it to be that common. So, in Malaysia, we are at a point where we are still going and we are still figuring things out. Uh, but I'm kind of lucky because I have uh, more seniors who are already fig figured things out for us. We just need to just uh, follow through and we have someone who we can talk to for guidance. Yeah, we are not at a phase where it's too early to do anything. We are already established because I think Malaysian stand-up scene um, is already like, I think 15 years, I mean, as a whole, 15 huh. years old. But two, there are two pioneers, both men and women. I mean, uh, they are the queen of comedy and the godfather of comedy in Malaysia. Huh. Both of them have an experience of 30 years. Yeah. But uh, the time the scene is not even there, they are performing themselves and uh, they are fighting themselves out. There's no comedy club, no open mic for trainings whatsoever that time. But uh, I think those who are age 15, they actually have a scene. They actually built a scene together. And that's the scene that we know today. And we are the younger ones, like I'm in for about three years. So... Three years is actually, we are like kind of like baby only. I mean, compared to the 30 years old. So the thing is we are learning, but we have already have a platform where we can actually perform. There's no such thing like, oh no, I, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know how to get started. Uh, our time we say, uh, we do know how to get started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how long have you been doing comedy? Three years. Three years. Oh, you are a baby. <laughs> yeah, I am a baby. Yeah. How, how do you how do you get? <laughs> oh, for those of you, since we're and it, we're, this isn't released by video, but Juliana just did really cute little hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how? Uh, what? What sparked the fire in you to to pursue stand up? Well, it was quite interesting. I mean, uh, how I started comedy was uh, I think it was a sneak seed planted long ago actually mm. by uh by my boss i used to work as an auditor actually so uh. um yeah so the time we were having like we were so busy because as an auditor during the peak period 
you don't even see the daylight. Yeah? Just your nose is always on the laptop, you know. So the thing is, I was like, we are so busy, but our boss decided to like reward us in the off-peak season. So he bought us tickets to the Mas Jobrani comedy show. So happened Mas Jobrani came to Malaysia. Huh. Yeah. So we watched and then, I mean, it, it's great. He's really good and all. Just that it just didn't click. The next day I went back to work as uh-huh. usual. Yeah. yeah, I just, oh, good, good. Very, very good, very good. And then the next day I went back to work. Didn't click. And then after that, I think in a, that, was, that was when, that was 2011 when uh, Mas Jobrani come to Malaysia. Okay. And second time was uh, 2014 where me and a few group of Toastmasters, we wanted to check out a comedy club. So it was nearby our workplace. I mean, that's like kind of like the, the one and only comedy club in Malaysia that time. <laughs> so so that time we went to watch that. But at that time it wasn't even stand-up. It's improv, improv comedy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was improv comedy where they do scenes in the head, you know, those kind of stuff. Um, it was funny. I enjoyed myself and all and managed to talk to a few local comedians. Uh, but still, the next day, I went back to work. <laughs> so it still didn't click. Yeah. And then I think it, it finally only clicked when I actually saw this uh, flyer, I think. But that time, I was struggling tremendously at work where I, I started hating my job. That's the mm. thing. Because the, the first two encounters, I'm pretty neutral. My attitude about work is pretty neutral. So... I just went back to work. But this time, I'm like, oh no, I mean, I'm troubled. I, I just find my work quite boring and meaningless and I just need more. And that time, I saw a flyer at the train station. Yeah. And the flyer was like, it was multicolored because it's actually about from a mall actually. So it's all multicolored. But there's this very particular ugly page where it's only orange color. And they said, uh, stand up comedy, new beast welcome. You know, and that's when I'm like, okay, so email ah uh, something at gmail.com. You know, uh-huh. then I'm like, okay. Then after that, I say, uh, yeah, can I do stand-up comedy? I would like to try out, you know. But the thing is, uh, the real reason behind this is because I, I wanted to enter for free. How how do I enter for free? Because I don't want to enter with a Dolphy. So the thing is, I say, okay, what, what do I do? You know, and then they say, oh, you just need to do three minutes. I'm like, yeah, splendid. I can talk for three hours if I want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So went up there and then I performed. But I mean, as a first timer, you don't expect to kill. You know, I mean, I mean, even sure. if you, I kill, it's because of the generosity of the first time audience when the host announced, "Oh, this first this person is taking the stage for the first time." Yeah, I think whatever you say, the audience will just clap and laugh anyway. So that is not a true indicator. You know, you should have <laughs> boo me. I will never come back to stand up again. But that time they were like cheering and all, and and my father was the one who accompanied me that time, and he video it actually so okay so guess where the laugh track come from (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so the thing is i was like yes i have it let's do stand-up comedy yeah but the other reason i decided to do stand-up comedy is because i'm someone who is pretty lonely i mean not not just because of uh of my circumstances it's just i'm i'm pretty lonely as a person where i'm quite comfortable with my own usually just that I do notice the power of connection when I was doing stand-up comedy because when I see a group of strangers, because, well, the audience are all strangers. They all come from different walks of life and they only meet each other in the comedy club. Mm-hmm. And that's all. And they usually hang out with their troupe of friends. And the comics themselves, again, they are a bunch of loners. Yeah, so <laughs> everyone is just like a whole building of strangers together. But the moment someone tell a joke and the audience laugh by the end of the open mic or even the comedy show, 
uh, they become friends, you know. So and I I decided that yeah, I need friends, you know. Oh. So that's <laughs> so that's when I decided to to start doing stand up comedy. And uh, three years later, I I'm glad to say that I I have many friends. Uh, three. Three. Only, only. <laughs> yeah. Stop, stop. Yes, but it's still good. Yeah, because it's a hundred percent improvement from a zero. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I'm already loving this conversation because you hit on things that you know. If anybody is wondering, well, what's are, are the universal themes of comedy, no matter where it is happening, and you've hit on them. You know, the fact that uh, the first time, you know if somebody is introduced as this is the first time they've they've come up on a stage the audience is, audiences are going to be a lot uh, more generous with them and also the whole concept that a lot of comics are uh, lonely people don't don't come at me for saying that but you know we we have some loneliness <laughs> in our hearts but once we get up on that stage and we make a connection with either other comics or with the audience through laughter then you've got you've got friendship now so that's uh really cool to kind of hear that certain things are are the, are the same yep uh okay so that is your start and i i think uh if you've been in in comedy for three years that means about a year going on a year and a half of it has been online yep but maybe for you that hasn't mattered as much because uh, if if Kuala Lumpur is a, is a place that doesn't have a lot of comedy offerings, maybe yep. you have you had the advantage on us because you were seeking out other ways of performing comedy online already. Is that yeah? <laughs> is, that, is that a fair statement? It is because especially now um, we will be because Malaysia, especially this point of time, we are having a a hike in the COVID cases. Mm. Suddenly there is increase and we are going into a total lockdown, which the last time we had was uh, three was uh, last year, March to June. So it's three months ago last year and we are bringing back the total lockdown this year again. Mm. So that can be very devastating, especially for comedians who are, I mean, especially we are growing and all, we, don't, we already don't have much stage time and now the stage is being pulled out under our, I mean, like, our, like a rug from yeah. under our feet. Yeah. So, so the thing is, a lot of us, we are suffering at an early phase. Of course, we do suffer from um, withdrawal symptoms because we are like, oh, I need to get back to the stage, you know. Yeah. And, but the good thing is we found a Zoom comedy. And, and the thing about Zoom comedy is all you need to do is to just lock on the laptop at the right time. You know, it's, <laughs> like, the, it's like location is no longer because the thing is for us, if, I mean, I have considered touring as well. But there is a lot of money that I don't have yet, you know, like mm-hmm. to go around. Even in Southeast Asia, if I were to tour, for example, just the Southeast Asia region like uh, Singapore, Thailand, uh, Philippines, Indonesia, I also need money to actually go around. And unfortunately, in Malaysia, where, where the arts are still pretty, I mean, we are pretty underground and it's not really easy to make money unless you are a mainstream TV star. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is pretty hard for us unless you have a day job. But again, there is a dichotomy in this where when you have a day job, you can't just go and tour anytime you like because you have an obligation. But for people like us who just want to do comedy uh, full-time, mm-hmm. not even in income-wise, just the heart. So we also need money. And But the thing is, with Zoom comedy, the barrier of entry becomes very low. That means uh, you don't need to really like fork out your flight tickets, your 
your accommodation. And I think accommodation is the biggest killer. Yeah. Yeah. Of, uh, anywhere else in the world. Yeah. It's, it's the accommodation and the travel, the transport. So the thing is, just by the laptop. And I think the only thing we need to invest is the internet connection because in the early phase, I did not. And I suffered a lot of like Suddenly, I was talking and people can't hear me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the internet just cut the audio or suddenly the whole thing, the video lag, everything. So, and the laptop give way, you know, because it was a lousy office work laptop. So eventually, these are things that I have to invest eventually. But the cost is considerably lower than flying out there. Yeah. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, tell me about uh, what kinds of, of comedy you uh, opportunities you were you were having right before everything shut down last March. Were you? How often are you able to to be on stage before COVID? I would say for a week, maybe. I mean, if I hustled hard, I, it would be three to five times. I mean, because okay. there are different. Okay, there are two comedy clubs in Malaysia, but there are a few independent show producers who run their own open mics. And if let's say I'm like in the boot to do everything, it will be three to five times. And it is great. And the time I was already starting to travel for comedy contests, you know, like around the regional, like 2019 is kind of like the year of uh, traveling for me, where mm -hmm. I travel and do comedy. So it started off with uh, the states of various states of Malaysia because I'm from the central part. But I went to the northern part. There is a scene in northern Malaysia as well. And there's also a scene in the, the eastern side. So eastern, where Malaysia is a quirky country, we are being split. The east and west are being split by, by kind of like, not the wall of Berlin, right? not the Berlin wall, but yeah. by the South China Sea. Yes, we are permanently split by that. Okay. So to be able to travel to the east side of Malaysia, we have to fly or take a boat that lasts quite a long time. Huh. So normally we'll just take the flight there. And the thing is, they all have their scenes there. Um, and the time I was already traveling regionally in Malaysia itself. And after that, I went down to Singapore. Singapore is our neighboring country, just uh, down south in uh, 400 kilometers down south. It's just, we just need to cross a bridge and we are in Singapore. And after that, I also fly to Bangkok. Yeah, Bangkok is actually Thailand, also another neighboring country uh, for a comedy contest that time. And it was awesome. I mean, I actually had fun that time because, you know, what's the fun thing about, about traveling while doing comedy? I, I don't need to drive, so I boost. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> in, in Malaysia, I have to drive, so I hardly boost. And then there are times I actually told my other friends, you know why I actually find that I'm funnier overseas? And they were like, because you drink. <laughs> That's why you're funny out there, you know. It's like in Malaysia, you, you tend to be uptight because you tend to be brought down by responsibilities, by work and also uh -huh. by the traffic rules, you know. So you can't, you can't drink much. Sure. And finally, I make my way to the UK. Yeah, United Kingdom, London. And I also played a few states that time. Yeah, just go there and travel and at the same time perform comedy. And that time, I was already like, yes. I'm going to travel for comedy. 2020 <laughs> is my year. I'm going to plan a Southeast Asian tour. Ah, ah, you know. And that's when the lockdown happened. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, and you could just blame the, the, the dumb American question here. What, <laughs> what language are you performing in predominantly? Uh, predominantly, uh, I perform in English because that's how the scene started off as well. The scene is in English mainly. Okay. But eventually, they branch up branch out to our national language, which is uh, Bahasa Melayu, Malay, I mean, in, okay. in English terms. 
And I think Mandarin is pretty primitive. That means it's like, it, it tried to start, but it didn't have the traction. So eventually the, the comedy producer just say, okay, I think I better take a, take mm-hmm. a hike because I need, I, I cannot be wasting money every time on venues where only end up all comedians coming, no audience. And it's pretty hard. I mean, I know that there is a Chinese scene. It's just that we are all so focused on uh, building our basics. First. But I think that's a valid thing to do. Like build on your basics first before you even venture out. Because when you venture too much and then especially it gives you heart, gives you heartache, I think it's worth to take a, a rain check rather than to keep going in and and continue to feel hurt. <laughs> yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah. we, so I think if let's say it didn't work out, I mean just fall back on stand up on the craft of stand up itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the most traction, but Malay has been gaining traction to the point that uh, most of the TV shows in Malaysia are of course in the national language because, uh, of course from the media point of view and producer point of view, if they want to do an English one, they might as well just buy it from the other countries like mm-hmm. who are already more established with producing works in English. So. Only Malay will be the one that is produced by the home. And I think even in, for myself, when I'm performing in, uh, in Malay, uh, I can only perform in Malaysia. I can't perform it in elsewhere. So sure. I kind of think it is a good direction to kind of uh, hone my Malay act in Malaysia itself. And then with the option open now where I can actually work my English sets elsewhere, like mm-hmm. in US, UK. So I think it is actually, it opens up a, a new world for me. Yeah, yeah, where I can actually focus on branch out and because I actually forced myself to branch out to Malay because it is a comedy competition that is akin to the stand-up, what they call it? Uh, NBC NBC have this stand-up show where they call it uh, yeah, bring, I, bring the fun. The one is uh, Bring the Funny is by uh, NBC. NBC Bring yeah, the I, Funny and then okay. Last Comic Standing. Yeah, that's, Last Comic that's Standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, I was thinking as well. Yeah. Like, I, I'm confused I between can, both. <laughs> <laughs> so Malaysia have that and uh, but the audition the only snack is the audition is in Malay and my act is mainly in English so I actually have to like translate it and huh. and, uh, and and rehearse it in a very short period of time in fact when I was on the TV show that time I, I have performed less than 10 times in my national language because okay although we grow up learning that language but it, but when you left school you will fall back into your default language you don't you don't like keep using uh, your national language unless it's for official purpose so that's the thing that I'm having where I speak English most of the time even Mandarin I also hardly speak unless I meet a friend who only speaks Mandarin then I will literally use all my quota to speak to that person in Mandarin and I will be like no more, no more Chinese but I, I really exhausted <laughs> my quota with this person um, so that's how I, I kind of like force myself to quickly uh, relearn the language and um, I mean eventually I do get comfortable with it during the during the shooting and all it was not too bad actually to, to yeah. re- regain which capability back yeah but it was a bit tough when you're like oh no I mean I'm going to audition in the language I'm like what if the jokes didn't translate well that is what we are afraid of but right. uh, a joke if let's say the universal idea is actually funny uh, ideally it should work in any language yeah even if I do it in Mandarin it should work in Malay it should work just that you need to do a bit of tweaking to to let people understand it more. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. yeah. So did you jump on the online show idea right right away? During yeah, the- I do. I do. Yeah. Because the thing is, uh, I was kind of like having a bit of a withdrawal syndrome that mm-hmm. time. And it, it is a good thing. It's like, if let's say I don't have the withdrawal symptom, I'll be like, nah, 
now. No, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but the thing is, I do so, I was like, anything goes. And the first, the first virtual mic I actually jump on, it's not even a comedy mic. It's actually a poetry and music mic in uh, Manila, Philippines. Huh. So that time they were like, oh, okay, but you can do anything you want. But I'm also a poet. So that time, naturally, I just pull out my book of poetry, my own poetry and just read there. But it opens my mind that it is possible to perform online. Because at first we were like, how do we perform online? You know, it doesn't make sense, you know, and all. Mm -hmm. But eventually I felt like, hey, it, it is possible. And, and then I was in a UK collective group for Facebook. It's a Facebook group. And because that time last year, 2019, I was in the UK. So I actually joined the forum to get in touch with the gigs. That means anytime when someone say, oh, we have people pulling out, can can, can pull one spot. And then I was like, me, me, me. And then I would uh -huh. just take the train there. Um, that forum, actually, they said that, okay, we are going to have a virtual comedy show, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, sure. I mean, I, I, I say I would like to try out. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm just saying, let's, let's go and try it out. And yeah. I think it is not too bad because when I try my jokes, although it has a very unusual dynamics because of the delay and all where, where because of the internet line and also whatever that's happening in Zoom, it is yeah. like, it's not immediate. There is a bit of a, a couple of milliseconds delay here and there. But apart from that, I think uh, the performance are almost similar to life. Yeah. But again, for me, it's because I am on the spectrum. So I think I embrace virtual a bit more readily because I, I would be frank, performing in front of a camera and performing in front of an audience is kind of the same for me because I don't, I'm unable to read audience. Like I, I look at audience, I have to assume that they are, they are the best audience in the entire world. You know, I have to assume that because I can't tell. I mean, if let's say they are, they are having a bad day or what, I also can't tell. So uh, to me, it's kind uh, of like, I don't really see any difference and my work doesn't involve a lot of crowd work. So I don't really see a big difference in, the jump but for X for comedians who do a lot of crowd work or they rely on a lot of audience energy that's when the zoom will be like it, it's a it's a world apart but for yeah. me it's, I don't rely a lot on um, on the audience apart from laughter and applause I don't really rely much on interactions and also I can't read audience I mean the, the put me in a dark room I'm also fine you know like I hold <laughs> me I'm because to me, if I just like oh okay I have jokes you know and I will just do it you know uh -huh. yeah yeah <laughs> So I, I think that is the boon of uh, maybe maybe that thing on the spectrum. Maybe it's like I, I embrace it much more readily than than a lot of other people. Yeah, I, I think that's that's another uh, part of your charm that that I picked up on when I when I uh, saw your your tapes. It's you're it's almost like you're you're doing it to entertain yourself, <laughs> and whether or not the the audience is entertained really doesn't matter to you but it, yeah. I know that that's not what it is it is that you're, <laughs> you're on the spectrum and so you have a different relationship to yeah uh, to the audience in that way but it's it I mean for for me watching you perform it, there's a charm to it that you you don't need us um, <laughs> and yet you're so funny so we 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 need you <laughs> <laughs> As as your your world started to expand with these online shows, uh, tell me about your your writing process because, uh, like I said, when I watched that that tape of you with the the Plano Virtual Festival, and I and I remember that you did this with our show. How how did how do you tackle 
customizing or throwing in little things into your set so that the audience would know, okay, well, obviously, uh, Juliana is not from, you know, it's not from deep in the heart of Texas. And <laughs> yet, the way she's going to, they're, they're going to create the connection to us is by mentioning something local or American. Yeah. Is that something that you naturally do? Or is that something um, you thought, I'm going to do this because that'll help me connect? Yeah, I think for me, what I did was I actually remembered an advice by a, by a fellow comedian. I mean, he's a couple of years older than me in comedy. And he mentioned about his experience performing in, in UK for a couple of months. But unfortunately, uh, he, he, he kind of bombed. You know, it's like nobody cares about him and all. And, and he's like bombing. And after a while, he, he, he relayed his experience to, to us. Mm -hmm. that saying that when he was talking to other comedians, they were like... Uh, like, like, dude, where are you from? You know, that kind of stuff. And, and he said that, oh, I'm actually from Brunei, you know, like, but, but then they were like, dude, why do you not mention in your act? Because we always think that you are from there, but the stuff that you talk about are pretty different from, from what, we, what we would hear in locally, you know. So mm -hmm. the thing is, I think it's important to address, I mean, his point is to address the immediate, that means if, let's say, you show, I mean, I, I, I'm not white, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, or either whatever, so it is obvious that people see that, okay, this is someone that is, uh, that is definitely not from this region, but where are they from? And the thing is, if they are keep bothered, their mind, their mind is bothered with the question of where is this person from? Who is she? Where are they? You know, whatever. They cannot focus on your joke. That means their mind will, mm. be, will, will stay on the free spin. Yeah, free spin where they are just thinking, where, where's this boy from? Where's this boy from? Where's sure. this guy from? You know, and whatever he said after that, nobody followed and, and he said that's why he started telling his jokes about, about Brunei. I mean, as an opener. And uh -huh. I think and that helps a lot in him getting the other jokes across. And I, I learned from him on that advice. So I did not need to suffer that same pitfall that he has. Sure. Yeah. So I think that is a very important thing, which is to address. Even, even it's good to address, like uh, even myself, like some people say, you can actually start off by addressing that you are on the spectrum because the way I speak has a certain cadence that um, a neurotypical will find it interesting. Yeah, mm. so it's it's a different kind of cadence from uh, a neurotypical. So it's good to just address it at the beginning and move on. But again, in Malaysia, it is pretty. It's a soft spot. That means I cannot just do that immediately. I I usually have to try to find. I'm still finding a a good opening line that doesn't just start off with I have autism. You know that kind of stuff because in Malaysia, the understanding of autism is still very. Uh, basic where they just think that either you have autism or you don't so mm. I happen to look like the person who don't so it is very hard to let people were like I don't believe you you know that kind of stuff or either um, no I don't think I, I mean it's like they would think that you don't look autistic you know that kind of stuff or either they have a negative connotation on people on the spectrum to the point that they start thinking that you are you are three years old you know that kind of stuff they start thinking that you are a kid when in fact you are not so it becomes hard again when their mind is being fixated on what autism is. That's when it is quite hard to get them to move on. So the important thing is to like quickly break it into a joke and, and layer it with a couple of laughter first before you even reach the autism line. So mm -hmm. at least they are already, they open their heart to you and you can actually start saying stuff like that. If not, you can't because they were like, okay, who are you to tell us that? I mean, and, and because their understanding is a bit basic on uh, what autism is and that's when 
they will shut down and then you won't get any laughter after that. Sure. So it's good to layer up. So I'm, I'm also playing a bit with my physical appearance because again, being queer is not that common place in Malaysia. So I will start off with a joke that only works in the national language, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh. So it is like, I, I will always say, okay, uh, sometimes people ask me, uh, are you a man or a woman? And then, uh, but in Malay, that joke works because the word all is very quirky. So I would just say, oh, you know, that kind of, the punchline is actually all, oh, but it sounds like that in Malayu. So maybe I can just do one, one joke, which, which is already been translated one line ahead. Yeah. So, kadang-kala orang tanya, I, Juliana, you ni lelaki atau perempuan? I jawab, atau. So that, that word is quirky. That, so it works in Malayu. In my in in only in that language, uh-huh. it doesn't work in Mandarin. It doesn't work in English. It only works in in, in Malay. So that's how I actually do that as an icebreaker. At least it gets them to a quick laugh before I actually proceed to my other part of the jokes. Uh-huh. Okay, you have uh, shared with us that you are on the spectrum, and now give uh, telling us that uh, the understanding of autism in your your home country is not as advanced as maybe in other parts of the world. Now I understand a little bit that you may have been motivated to create this show, The Walking. Oh yeah, I have a special guest, special guest doc. Oh, whoa, 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 special guest. (laughs) Uh, was, was, Was your experience and the fact that you you felt like you were on a campaign to educate others about autism was that were those driving factors for creating your show yeah it is i mean partially for me i felt that uh it is good to be able to i want i want this to be a topic that is that is easily spoken that means it's not like people cannot talk about it because in malaysia mental health is pretty taboo still yeah where Mm. people don't talk openly about depression about uh about uh, whatever illness that they are suffering, ADHD, these are all pretty taboo. And then people quietly goes to the psychiatrist and they, they never want people to know about them. You know, it's huh. okay. It's akin to going to a, like a plastic surgery, you know, like it's like, uh, we go there quietly and then we come out quietly. <laughs> we don't want to let people know uh, uh-huh. what happens. And then uh, we pretend to live a normal life because as Asian, we usually want to portray just the, the, the positive facade of our life. We just want to show how good we are, how wealthy we are, how... But there is a lot of um, things that are being kept behind closed doors. Yeah, but for me, is I I want to be the person who who does the to to do do the unspoken. You know, like like where people can't speak about it. I I speak about it because I I'm I'm comfortable with doing that. So I'm I want to be the one who can speak about it. Yeah. And with that, I evoke conversations. I mean, I don't expect understanding in a short period of time, but at least conversations will help. Yeah. Have you gotten any, because that it sounds like such a cultural thing to not address it, to consider it as a taboo. Have you gotten pushback? Have, have people been uncomfortable in you being so vocal about raising this, uh, as uh, raising the awareness of, of autism? Yes, but most of the time, uh, eventually it becomes favorable when you make it funny enough. <laughs> Ah. Yeah, so if let's say you're just going up there and uh, and just saying, I mean, just telling facts, like information, just telling them, okay, look, this is what autism is, you know, blah, 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 then people will get like, oh, uh, you know, like, like, 
or either look this is what being queer is then again they will get like you know, but when you tell it in the form of a joke at least it get a bit more it's kind of like the spoonful of sugar mess, make the medicine go down yeah, yeah. so that is yeah spoonful yes I, I don't want to mix it up spoonful <laughs> of medicine make the sugar go down I think it will be funny yeah so, <laughs> so I'm like making sure that I'm not mixing up these two yeah <laughs> so the thing is is to to make it easier to talk about it where it's more pa- a palatable topic to talk about palatable topic rather than then like, oh no, we can't talk about this, you know, because I think it is important to, to understand because a lot of times people get upset or angry. It's not because of, uh, of, of they are angry or what, it's just because of lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's when a lot of misunderstanding can happen. Um, a lot of things can be taken out of context. So it is good that we, we talk about it as the forerunner. And I think even myself, I actually felt that uh, Malaysia is gaining especially recently we are gaining a bit more understanding of and there are more people involved with uh, with working with people on the spectrum so the awareness has been increasing lately compared to to like the few years back where nobody talks about it and everyone is afraid of, of what this is you know yeah yeah and you have gotten your show premiered at, at uh, i mean Australia, New Zealand, and New York. Yep. So you're, you're, you're gaining audiences. What has the reaction outside of Malaysia been to, to your show? I, I would say that it is um, it's good reaction because uh, they wanted to... I mean, it is part, partially because of curiosity because I'm kind of like from the other part of the world. So they also want to know like what's happening on the other side. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that uh, our experiences are pretty universal after all you know mm-hmm. it's like we can be from very different parts of the world but the experience that I I feel the and I think certain things that we experience as someone on the spectrum is not just exclusive to us it could be also loosely translated to people who are neurotypical as well it's like pretty relatable in certain ways so so it is like they were like pretty intrigued and they enjoy it because I think I involved that is because for me, walking on spectrum is actually a medley show. It's not just a comedy hour, like what uh, like what is happening most of the time mm-hmm. uh, out there where everyone is saying, ah, I'm doing my one hour, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I'm very honest. I say that I, I'm not doing a whole comedy hour. I'm doing a medley show where it involves comedy, spoken word and storytelling, uh, okay. which is something I, I did alongside with, uh, with my comedy as well. I mean, for therapeutic reasons. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I mean it's, it's good because certain there are a lot of other issues that I'm working on, but it is not stage ready for comedy yet. So it is better to pre-process by comedy by spoken word and storytelling for the time being until you found a better angle to bring it into comedy. So for me is I when I do that, especially the storytelling part, uh, where I talk about how I how I actually stand up and uh, left my abusive family. Yeah. Mm. So that's when uh, it's pretty, I think it's pretty harrowing and account. Yeah. So that's why that time they were like, it's, uh, for them, it's, it's pretty refreshing for someone whom we just met for the first time on screen to, to talk about, about their issues so openly and, and just like no host part and just talk about it without any like hold back, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and it's, so that's why for them, it's, they felt the truth is pretty refreshing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is is part of that, and and I I will admit I do not have a 
solid understanding of how autism works when you are autistic. So I, I'm just curious that the the way I think of an autism uh, a brain that that is autistic is everything is very factual and linear and there's not a lot of gray. So for you to be open, it's just the normal way for you to be. And we, uh, I've, you have a really good way of describing the, the, the neuro, what, oh. Neurotypical. Used, yes, for a neurotypical, we like to talk in nuance. We like to talk in between the, the black and the white, the extremes, the yes, the no, we like to yep. talk in between there, but for someone that has autism, that they, they can't operate in that space. And so for us, it's actually refreshing uh, to just know fact, not fact, truth, fiction, and not mess with the stuff in between. It's actually relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually it's actually that is very true because for me is uh, I, I don't know I mean I don't really because my mind is programmed in such a way that I don't really uh, I, I just take things on a very surface level I mean like take it as, as face value usually so it is actually pretty cool because uh, it's like there's not much of a I mean I mean that like they say that uh, people always say that people on the spectrum are usually pretty cool because they, they just say what they mean, you mm. know, like we just say what we mean. We don't really play mind games, you know, like, ah, I'm going to say yeah. something and, and confuse the hell out of the other person, you know, right. I, I, and, and I expect you to read me, you know, that kind of stuff. But for people on the spectrum, we don't bother because we are so, we, we are so tired reading people. We don't even know how to read, but we try, yeah. you know. So we, we just don't bother. It's like, uh, you know, just get me what I want, you know, now, you know, that's all, you know, that's yeah. what we do. We just... We, we try to get the point across as much as we can, yeah, rather than to, to convolute it and then uh, make it confusing. And at the end, everyone get misunderstand and, and isolate eventually, isolated eventually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, uh, well, I, I mentioned in the introduction that you may be our first official uh, poet to have <laughs> been a guest. Is that something that you've always been or is that something that you've, you've fallen into in, in the last uh, few years? Uh, I think I officially fallen, I mean, I used to write poetry when I was much younger as well, mm -hmm. like um, just writing as a gift to people, like yeah, to, as a birthday gift, you know, because I'm pretty, that's, that's why I'm like, I, I don't really buy into commercial, you know, like you just go and go to the bookshop, buy a card to say, to so-and-so from me. Uh. Then after that, I just, it's, it's for me, it's, that's not the thing I do. I prefer handwritten stuff. Aww. So I will draw my own stuff. I mean, I know it's ugly. It's just a simple cake that I usually draw. And after that, I just say happy birthday. And then inside, I would just write um, a couple of lines yeah, and, and send it to the person. So they find that a very unique gift, you know. They are, yeah. like, it's, like, it's personal and all. And for me, it's, I started from that. But eventually, I drifted on because... Well, I mean, when work starts, I mean, when you start studying college, there's so much of work and all that. Uh, eventually, I just lose it. Like, I just study, study hard, study hard, and then work hard, work hard. And I just kind of, like, abandoned that idea of uh, writing poetry. But it kind of come back to me when I was doing stand-up comedy, actually. Because at one point of time, I've already reached a slum. I mean, I mean, I know that I'm only a baby in comedy, but I also <laughs> have my slums, you know. Like, sure. I, I think... One and a half years in, I, I actually thought of giving up uh, comedy because I felt that no matter, 
I mean, it is quite apparent because a lot of my comedian friends, they are in comedy for a couple of months, but they actually pick up the nuance of stand-up comedy pretty quickly while I'm still struggling with, uh, and I was like bombing for a one and a half year, you know, that kind of stuff. But the thing is, I don't, the funny thing is, I don't even know I bomb, you know, I just know that, uh, I know that I'm not getting anywhere because I see all my friends, they are getting paid, they are getting booked on shows and I'm not, I'm just doing the open mic every day, you know, like, and then, so I kind of know that, not because I bomb that I know that I, that to the audience I know that because of other circumstances so that's when I, I felt that okay great that means uh, because I'm unable to be to read the audience well to to connect with them and also I'm unable to uh, I, I, and then the thing is I don't have much spontaneity compared to many other acts so I thought that I thought that I think no matter how hard I work I'm I will never be as good as the rest. And it's a waste of time if I continue to do this. You know? So that time, that's when I suddenly uh, turned my, my face to poetry for a short while. Like, like, oh, no, I think I'm better as a poet. <laughs> I'm better as a poet. Like, I'm not Aww. funny. Yeah, so I started. But there's this exercise that we were in where we, because poetry, they also do quite a lot of writing stuff and all together. Yeah. So they were like saying, okay, please, um, now we are going to write something and then uh, write something write something that matters to you and also uh, good thing about poetry is uh, you don't need to be funny so you can just go head on and then you dive deep and I think that's when I actually written my poem called Autumn yeah which is also featured in Walking on Spectrum as well so uh, that poem is about uh, my, my my life with autism my my relationship with autism and I think from there because of the deep dive that I managed to get in that time that's when I also realized that actually some of the stuff in poetry, I can actually translate it to comedy. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's kind of like the setup and then I just need to look the set, the poetry is like the setup and yeah. the, and I just need to look for the punchlines. And I think that the deep dive allows me to actually see that. Uh, yeah. And I, when I do that, uh, I actually kind of make a comeback in my comedy. Yeah. Through, uh-huh. through poetry so it is kind of like a lifesaver that time yeah because that's I was really like cool. you know like yeah. yeah so that's how I got back into poetry and then and then I've been I've been writing although I'm not as avid writer as many other people but when I'm inspired I usually write a, a few lines here and there and then just mm-hmm. it's very therapeutic in fact I don't really and then there are times we will we will get paid as an a poet as well but the thing is that is usually always comes as a pleasant surprise to me because I always do it for a therapeutic purpose but of course as Asian I won't refuse money yeah <laughs> <laughs> I won't refuse but for me it's, I never meant poetry to be uh, uh, the main thing it's always for me it's therapeutic and it allows me to be to be real and I don't need to joke around my circumstances if I'm not ready to yeah I can just dive deep into poetry and storytelling storytelling is always the long form of poetry as well so perhaps I think we should we, we, we are not just comedians spoken word for word or storyteller yeah. we are just under the whole umbrella of storyteller yeah where we tell our life just through different methods but we are all storytellers right right so what is next for Juliana it sounds like you're going you're going through another lockdown so yeah. what is next for you what is next for me? I mean, of course, primarily is to to make my to continue solidifying my craft in the stand up comedy. Yeah, I mean, without the stage is fine. But I think I think I always say that stage work is also important. But then when there's no stage work, you yeah. always have an opportunity to work on your materials. 
that, because you have a lot of time to write, you have a lot of time to edit, you have a lot of time to rehearse on your own. Mm-hmm. And with the virtual comedy, it's technically rehearsals every time. You know, you're rehearsing on screen first before you even bring it to life. So I'm always open, I'm always ready when the floodgate opens. As the floodgate, when everything, when this COVID thing is really over mm-hmm. and floodgates are finally open again, then I will be ready to take whatever opportunities that come. So I look at this space as a preparation. That means for me to, to sow my seed and yeah. then to water the plants, you know, this kind of stuff, rather than to be resentful about what is happening. Yes, of course, I was resentful at first because, because you see in Malaysia, we kept a lot of, uh, we have a lot of reopening and shutting down and all. That means uh, lockdown and then we mm-hmm. reopen perform for a while and then lock down again and then reopen right. again. I think and then this is the third time we are having a lockdown in Malaysia. So ah. we have been we have been reopening and shutting down again and again. So it is very frustrating because you are like, yes, I'm I'm going to take all the charge and all and that's when you're going back to square one again. But I don't want to view it as like devastation because if not uh, the next 14 days of a total lockdown will be a complete hell so <laughs> I choose to say let's let's take it as a preparation phase you know like enjoy this time to, to do whatever that need to be done and um, so that is for the, the comedy side but for I would say for other things I'm also studying acting yeah I'm so taking the opportunity to study acting because I love Korean dramas very much <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yes, I'm very happy when it comes to certain things in my life. I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, it's like I wanted to, to, to be the, the guy in the show. You know, I like the. It's like that's a, that's why I say being non-binary is fun because every time when people ask me like, like, so, so why you like the Korean drama? I think that oh, because I, I like the guy, but I also want to be the guy. You know, the kind of stuff like oh, because they are so stylish. Korean men are stylish. Okay, don't talk about the everyday men, but those on 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 real are really like oh, they are really. I mean, for me, it's like these are all very good distraction when you're upset or what. You just go there and see it and you'll be like, your mood is just instantly, instantly <laughs> like boosted, you know. Uh-huh. And, and the thing is, you do get addicted to Korean drama. So the most sensible thing I did was to watch another Korean drama after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my so gosh. It's, yeah, so I learned acting so that I can get, at least understand what is the context of, um, of their acting and all. Just, it's, it's always good to understand what is behind the the screen, you know, like what uh-huh. they do to prepare themselves to for, for their roles and um and the acting techniques and all it's always good to learn and myself I also like use the opportunity to read some books and then like because the thing is I kind of wanted to make like make this the best video of my life although it is although it is hell but I still want to make a paradise out of hell. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I certainly hope that our, our paths will cross. It sounds like once things reopen and we're, yeah. we're past all this, you're going to be... Uh, I would love to go to Texas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up. And what I am doing with this summer vacation series of, of, in, of talking to guests from our online show or from around the world uh, it's going to be a little bit different when I ask you this question, because when I ask other Americans this question, it's very easy to make comparisons, but mm. with you, it's not going to be, but let's give it a shot. Uh, can you tell us why we should be checking out the Kuala Lumpurian or Malaysian comedy scene? You should check the comedy scene in Kuala Lumpur because there's a lot of uh, up-and-coming talents uh, that are pretty unseen of. I mean, what you have seen of me is just the tip of the iceberg. 
you have to see the rest of it. The, the rest of the comedy scene in Malaysia. And plus, Malaysia is a beautiful place. We have good food, good weather, and bad pilots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Okay, and then tell us some names specifically of who we should be checking out. And for our, our audiences who, you know, can't pick up your accent as fast as I think, I'd like to think I, I have been, <laughs> tell us the name slowly. Okay, so uh, you have to check this uh, woman out. Her name is Shak Munisami. But don't worry, I will send you the, the name. Yes, so, on. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Good, good, good. Because uh, because I, I'm Chinese, so my name is considerably easier. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, considerably easier compared to the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the next person that you should check out is a guy called uh, Garu Rumon. Yeah. He's not exactly Malaysian, but he, he's from Pakistan. Uh, no, so later he will kill me. He's from Bangladesh. <laughs> he's from Bangladesh, but based in Northern Malaysia, Penang. Yeah. So okay. um, both of them are. Are great yeah so check these two out for a start okay yeah send send uh, when we finish you'll send me their their names <laughs> <laughs> and both of them actually both of them have done zoom comedy before i mean ah. um yeah it's like it, it will be great that you can get hold of them for future future virtual shows yeah oh yeah sure yeah all right is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that people know about you okay only one thing Please okay. follow my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. and MX Juliana Hing. Yeah, at MX Juliana Hing. Yes. MX is the, the kind of like the prefix for a non-binary person. So ah. that's why I, I use it, MX Juliana Hing. Yeah. Is that so a global that, thing? That, sh that seems like that should be a global thing. That's a really smart There should idea. be, but there is a lot. There is a lot of, um, of like, they say the pronounced things and all is pretty... It's like your mind will just blow the moment you know like so many ways of saying something like there is a day them z z don't know what like i get oh, messed up even myself sure. z z e you know those kind of stuff there is a lot of yeah. pronouns out there but i think mx is pretty cool because it's very close to like miss ms yeah. mr so i think i'm just changing it with x so it's like they say woman and comedy like w o m x n yeah i think that is pretty cool yeah, yeah. rather than to just use the the, the normal one so I wanted to use this even my Instagram is educational yeah where I use my handle I educate using my handle yeah very yeah. smart okay <laughs> uh, I am going to ask you my closing question and are you ready sure one word to describe your future ah oh, good question Exploration. I like it. Yep. And for the record, I did not think your password of boring was was right, but that's fine. It's your <laughs> word. You chose it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that is the past because it does take me. I, I think what you see today is actually a journey I have since taken from boring. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that's why you, I mean, disagreeing it is actually a good thing. I mean, yeah. it's meant to, it's meant to be because it's the past. I mean, it, right. your future has to be moving forward. It cannot be still uh, 
boringer or either less boring, you know, like yeah. but it needs to be like, yeah, yeah. A, a, a different way of looking at it. It's like now we are shifting to a, a brave new world ahead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exploring that world. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, well, that is a wrap on Comedy Wham Presents Juliana Hang. Tell us where we can find you. You, you, you can tell us the Instagram account. Uh, sure. And also let us know of any projects that we should be checking out. Sure. Okay, so uh, Instagram, personal, at Juliana Hang. And then uh, I also run I Love KL, which is a curated comedy show that uh, includes that. Uh, I try to feature... Uh, people who are hidden gems and uh, unspoken voices within the comedy community where they are not mainstream but they are great so uh, that will be at I love KL okay I think I have that yay yeah okay fantastic well we hope you've enjoyed learning about how Juliana got to be the comedic genius that you heard today just as much as I have this has been Comedy Wham presents Juliana Hank. I'm Valerie, and that's been funny. Thank you so much, Juliana. Thank you so much, Valerie and Comedy Wham. <laughs>